Hello, and welcome to A Path to Redemption, the podcast. My name is Daniel Arona, and just remember the simple truth. The Father loves you, Jesus loves you, and the Holy Spirit loves you. Once again, I hope that you've had a great week. I hope that you've had time to spend with the Lord in prayer and also in His Scripture once again. And I know I say it every week, and I'm sure you're getting tired of hearing it, but I do think it's important to remind everyone that He's coming back. Jesus is coming back, and He is coming back to to take His church. He is coming back to take the people that are that are are sold out to Him, that are doing the things that He has asked them to do. Um, and I think it's imperative that we understand that. And I've mentioned it in passing before. Maybe I'll talk about it if the Lord lets me around the parable of the ten virgins, where they were all virgins, they were all ready to go to meet the bridegroom, but only five had oil in their lamps, and the other five were left out. So I think it's important that we understand that and that. We make sure that we keep our lamps trimmed, that we are doing the things that God wants us to do. That's what that means, and that we continue on with the work that he has prepared for us. And it's even more imperative that we do it now while things are getting crazy out in the Middle East and things that are getting crazier in the world, particularly as we see more and more and more things, people going away and the fullness of iniquity really coming into play here in this world. And look, I don't know. I don't know if it's five years. I don't know if it's 10 years. I don't know if it's 15. I don't know if it's 50. I don't know if it's a hundred, right? The only thing I can tell you is that the scripture is very, very clear that we need to be focused on him, focused on the things of him and make sure that we are doing what he asks of us when he comes, right? Never forget that blessed is a servant whose master comes and finds him working. Amen. So with that, let's uh, go ahead and get started. We're going to be in Esther 3 this week. Um, we're going to continue on and finish up uh, the Esther chapter 3. As we continue to look at Esther as a parallel of kind of the end time and, and some of the dispensation pieces here as well. Um, last week, we did kind of the profile of Haman as the Antichrist, as a picture of the Antichrist, I should say. Um, and this week, we're going to kind of bring that out even more so in in the next coming chapters. So, um, But again, just some housekeeping items. All of our scripture comes from the New King James Version of the Bible. If you want a copy of a New King James Bible, feel free to drop me a note at pathredemptionohio at gmail.com. More than happy to get one into your hands. Also, if uh, my book, Grace Abounds, is out, if you'd like a copy of that, please drop me a note, pastorredemptionohio at gmail.com. And then also, once again, and I say this every week, but don't just take my word for it. Make sure you're studying to show yourself approved. Make sure you're doing the work as well. Make sure that you are checking the scripture, reading the commentaries, doing the work that you want. Make sure I line up, right? Because, I mean, at the end of the day, I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's me. I don't care who it is out there. Um, you need to make sure that what's being taught is biblically sound and scripturally sound. Amen. So with that being said, let's go ahead and jump in. Esther 3, 7 through 11 says this, In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth month of the year, King Ahasuerus, they cast pure, that is the lot, so they basically cast lots here, um, before Haman to determine the month or the day and the month until it fell in the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, there's a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from all other people's and they do not keep the king's laws. Therefore, it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. If it pleases the king, let a decree be written that they be destroyed and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who do the work and to bring it into the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. 
And the king said to Haman, the money and the people are given to you. Do with them as seems good to you. Okay, now, a couple things here. There's a lot to unpack in the scripture, and that's what we're going to really kind of focus on. The first is this. Haman had hatched this plan long before it was brought to the king, and long before, right? Because they cast lots to get the day, the month, the you know, when this was really going to happen. Then he took it to the king, right? Because they, the, up until this, the king really wasn't informed of what they were planning, their timing, or of when they really wanted this plan to happen, right? And we know that that spirit of Antichrist is kind of doing something similar as well, because it's been waiting. It's been waiting and waiting until it can be the fullness of the embodiment of of who it needs to be, frankly, for the end to come. And it says in, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 through 5, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in in the world. The spirit of Antichrist is everywhere right now. It's not only just the hatred of Christ, it's not only that, but it's what the antithesis of Christ is. Christ was humble, Christ was was honest, you know, Christ was loving, all of these things. And you see this hatred, you see this this pride, this lifting up of self, you know, you see uh, all of these things that are happening right now in the world, and you can see that the spirit of Antichrist is rampant until finally the earth is going to give birth to the human form of the Antichrist, fully embodied with all of those things that are the antithesis of Christ, right? So I think that, that this is important because we see how Haman already kind of had his plan, already kind of knew the timing a little bit. I think that Satan and the spirit of Antichrist already kind of have an idea of what their timing is as well in this and what they're trying to do. Um, but they're just waiting for that authority for them to go to God and to get that authority for it to happen. So it's going to come and it's going to come for a long time. And then Haman goes to the king to add for permission to execute his plan. And why is it important that we understand this piece here? Because it, it, all authority, first off, is derived from God. Um, that is very clear in scripture. We're going to talk about that here in a second. Two, Satan has to go before God to ask permission to do these things. And I think that that's something that's not really taught and something that's lost here, but there's a lot of scripture that actually supports that. Um, the most of which would be in the book of Job, where in Job 1, 6 through 12, it says this, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth? a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And if you know the, the story of Job, we know that he, he loses his kids, he loses all his cattle, he loses his home, he loses everything he has to the point, and then eventually he loses his health until the point where he's sitting there in boils and sickness, um, alone, 
destitute with only him and his wife. His wife tells him to, to curse God and die. And then Job still never sins with his mouth, um, according to God. Now, the scripture is very clear that he never sins with his mouth. That means that his thoughts weren't always pure. And we know that from the way that Job is rebuked in the end of, in the end of the book of Job, right? But at the end of the day, God fully restores everything back to him um, that was there for. And, and honestly, Job is actually a picture of, of Israel. If you think about it, they had everything. They had the promise of God. They had the wealth, the riches, everything. The very height of that, of that nation was during the time of Solomon, right? And then they become Come, they ultimately are taken away due to Solomon and his concubines and due to sin. Now, Job wasn't sinful, right? I want to be clear about that. Job was, Job, sin did not cause Job's issues. God allowed that to happen. But at the end of the day, what's going to happen is that Israel is going to be restored in the millennial kingdom the same way that Job was. But regardless of that, um, this is this is what's happening in Esther too, right? The king is given permission for Haman or the Antichrist to do what he wants, so he will make war with the saints. You know, so Satan in Job goes to to God to actually get permission to do this to Job. Haman goes to the king, asks permission to go ahead and try and kill all the Jewish people. And that's exactly what's going to happen with the Antichrist. The Antichrist is going to be given permission to make war um, with the with the, the saints, right? In Revelation 13, 7 through 8, it says, It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's over every single person on this planet. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So basically, anyone that's not a Christian, anyone that's not that's not saved at that point in time is going to bow down and worship him. Um, if you remember the teaching on Zechariah five that I did, that are, that means Hindus, Buddhists, everyone else, that all these other other religions are going to abandon their religion and they are going to follow the Antichrist. Right now, understanding all of that though, the the Antichrist is given the authority over this world by the dragon after the dragon is kicked out of heaven due to his rebellion of God. And I need to pause here because there's a mini lesson here about authority that you really have to understand. All authority, and when I say all authority, I mean all authority is derived from God. Okay, every last bit of it. Romans 13.1 says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Now, Paul is clear here when he says this. There is no authority except from God. So if all authority comes from God, then the authorities that have been placed over you are derived from his authority. That means everything from your boss to the president, etc. We are to subject to that authority until it begins to go against the scripture of and God. Then we have to make a decision to either stay or go. And unfortunately, I mean, we see this quite a bit. Um, not all, I mean, I've done it myself where it's been in, in business or particularly in church, though, is where I've actually come across it the most. And I had to make a decision. I didn't necessarily believe the path that the church was coming on. I felt like I would, the Lord was leading me out. And I left, right? Now I was up front with the pastor and I said, look, I believe the Lord's leading me somewhere else, which is what he was doing. And, you know, they tried to keep me there. And then after I left, I, they absolutely badmouthed me from the pulpit because my parents were still there and told me about it at that point in time, which is okay. You know, that's, that's their choice. But at the end of the day, though, I had to leave because ultimately that's what God wanted me to do. And because I wasn't, it wasn't fully sound scripturally and I couldn't stay there anymore. Um, so 
many churches are going through this right now, though, um, particularly the United Methodist Church in particular with the ordaining of LGBTQ people. Um, and unfortunately, I think the Catholic Church is actually going to go through this as well, because the Pope is now saying that, that um, homosexuals can be baptized, um, that and, and some other things are happening there to really kind of go against not only scripture, um, but particularly for Catholics, you know, tradition is, is very, very important. But he's going against 2,000 years of tradition with that as well. And I think that where many, many people, you know, whether it's in the United Methodist Church or even the Southern Baptist Church with all their problems and the things that have been going on there, many are having to decide whether to stay with scripture or to follow a church that is following society. Um, everyone has to make their own choice. But I'm going to say this to you. Society does not inform scripture. Scripture should inform society. Now, our society, particularly in America, is not informed by scripture. I'm going to be honest with you there, right? But God's word is God word is God's word. And he said that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. These are immovable tenets. Okay, I'm just being clear about this, right? You cannot bless sin. It's no different than saying than than going and baptizing someone when they're drunk or anything like that. Like it's the same type of principle, right? If you look, there's nothing wrong with scripturally wrong with having a couple of drinks, but the scripture does specifically say against drunkenness. But if you're in any church that is going through any of this, I would just ask that you prayerfully consider your options and ask God to lead and guide you, right? Because at the end of the day, if you follow someone who's blindly following society, the scripture says the blind leads the blind, they both fall into the ditch. You're going to be just as responsible as that leader is, and you're going to fall away the same way that they are, right? So I just ask that you you prayerfully, prayerfully consider this because it's such an important time and such an important inflection point in the church right now. And it's really kind of a separation of the sheep and goats, in my personal opinion. But going back to the authority piece here, um, according to Daniel, God raises up kings at this point. So Daniel 2, 16 through 23 says this. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, for everyone else, that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, his companions, that they might seek mercies from God of heaven concerning the secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise. Men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom into the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked for of you, for you have made known to us the king's demand. So understanding this, that God has historically delegated his authority, right? Whether it be to kings, whether it be to whoever it was, right? And we saw this in particular with uh, with Adam when he created Adam. In Genesis 1, 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So here, Adam is delegated 
delegated authority by God over all the earth, right? And that's exactly what Satan, what what God did to Satan over Job. God delegated his authority over, over Job's life over to Satan and gave him the authority to be able to go and do whatever he wanted to do with Job's life, right? So we see this again in Psalm 82, where the scripture says, God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. He, How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Now, I want to stop there for a second, right? If we go back to Job 1, it says there's a time where the sons of God had to come and present themselves. The sons of God, I believe, and based upon the scripture in Psalm 82, are all those false gods that you that we know about from Mesopotamia, from Greece, from, from Rome, all of those pieces that God literally, they will raise themselves up and try and be like God. And, but ultimately God knocks them down and overthrows them. The gods of Egypt. Remember, if you read in Exodus, the, the scripture says that God wanted to judge the gods of Egypt. And then he sent the 10 plagues. And that's a really interesting study if you ever have time, but it maybe, maybe the Lord will let me teach it one day. But at the end of the day, it's an important, it's an important understanding here that, that God, the father, big G, will judge the little g gods, right? And he stands here, and here in Psalm 82, we kind of see this courtroom scene where he asks, how long to these other little g gods, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. So this is the the next part is the command that he had given them. He told them to defend the poor and fatherless, do justice to the afflicted and needy, deliver the poor and needy, feed them from the hand of free them from the hand of the wicked. They do not know nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness, all the foundations of the earth are unstable. And then this is what God says because they did not do this. He said, I said, You are gods. All of you, all of you are children of the most high. So again, that ties back to Job, where he says there was a time for the sons of God to present them. How many are there? We don't know, right? But at the end of the day, this is a prophecy of what's going to happen in the future, okay? Because look at this next part. He says, but you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all nations. So God literally gives authority to others and allows them to do what they will to, and ultimately to set them up for the judgment that we're going to see in the fulfillment of, of Revelation eleven fifteen, when it says, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Right. So understanding that, again, just to recap here really quickly, is that all authority is derived from God. So when authority is given to Haman as a picture of this, in as a picture of the Antichrist, the authority is given to the Antichrist in the end to take peace from the earth, to make war against the saints, to basically do exactly what Haman's trying to do here. It is derived by the dragon, but ultimately from God, because that authority has been given to the dragon at this point in time. So why does God do that? We see that in Psalm 82. He does that to give them an opportunity to rule benevolently, but at the end of the day, they don't do it. And because of their free will and their sin nature, even in these angelic, formerly angelic beings, we understand that they they won't do the things that God asked them to do. But rather, what do they do? They judge unjustly and they show partiality to the wicked. 
wicked. So at the end of the day, God will kill them. And God will, he says very clearly in Psalm 82, but you shall die like men. Okay, even though there are mortal beings, but they are still created beings by God, and therefore God can still do what he has to do with them, right? So until finally, ultimately, all authority is given over to Jesus Christ and to God once again, right? And we're going to kind of see that um, here here a little bit later, So, particularly in the book of Esther. But I want to make sure that we understand that, that just as the king delegated this authority to Haman, God will delegate the authority for the end for the end of this age for the things in the book of Revelation. He will delegate that authority to the dragon. That then the dragon will delegate that authority to the Antichrist. Because again, it was very clear that authority was given to him to go and make war with the saints, right? So we see that here. So it's the same type of picture here in the book of Esther. But it's ultimately a setup once again so that 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 God can judge the gods of this world. And this is ultimately a setup for Haman too, because Haman's going to be judged in the end. So one other point here in, in Esther three is that the decree goes out um, and that it's time for the Jews to die. And Esther three, 12 through 15 says, then the king's scribes were called on the 13th day of the first month. And a decree was written according to all that Haman commanded to the king's satraps, to the governors who were over each province, to the officials of all people, to every province, according to its script and to every people in their language. In the name of King Ahasuerus, it was written and sealed with the king's signet ring. And the letters were sent by couriers into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, on the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their possessions. A copy of the document was to be issued as law in every province, being published for all people, that they should be ready for that day. The couriers went out, hastened by the king's command, and the decree was proclaimed in Shushan, the citadel. So the king and Haman and sat down to drink, but the city of Shushan was perplexed. So this degree, decree goes out to all nations. And notice the timing here. It was sent out in the first month of the year on the 13th day. So for this ultimately ultimately to happen 11 months later on the same day as it would happen in the 12th month. The reason is because it takes so long for the word to spread. Keep in mind, we are talking about the entire Persian Empire, which if you go back to Esther 1, um, it says, Now it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus, this was the Ahasuerus who reigned over 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia. So understanding that, that there's 127 provinces that this word has to go through, again, all the way to India to Ethiopia, it's going to take time to get that word out. out. And I think that Haman really pushed this back far enough in order to get the word out, in order to make sure as many Jews died as possible. But we all know that now, as we compare this, that that's not going to take that long because in modern technology, we all know within five minutes when something happens on this earth. Um, but the principle is still the same. A decree will go out that you have to worship the beast or be killed. Mordecai did not worship Haman, and now he was supposed to be killed with all the people of, of, of the Jews, right? But the death of those who do not worship will be caused by the proxies of the beast. And what do I mean by that? Because authority is given in this to all the different leaders of the provinces, right? Then I think that we have to to get that and to understand that because if you look, the letters were sent by couriers into all the king's provinces to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews, both young and 
and old, little children and women in one day on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder all their possessions. But it was given to the, to the, to the governors. It was given to the king's satraps. It was given to, to everyone who was over each province and to the officials of all the people. If you go back and read that scripture. So a similar decree is going to go out and it's going to be fulfilled by the proxies. So let's not forget that there is a similar decree in Revelation 13, 11 through 15, when it says, then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs, which he was granted to do in the sight of the, of the beast telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many who would not worship the image of the beast to be killed, right? So understanding this, though, if they're not going to worship the image of the beast, who's the ones that are going to be doing the killing, right? It's going to be the same proxies that we kind of see here. It's going to be the government. Authority is given to the false prophet by the beast to do this, but it will not be them specifically that are killing these people. It'll be the proxies or people designated in the areas to kill these people. We see this as well in in Esther, as the decree went out to all the provinces, to all the officials, the government. It was the responsibility to carry out the destruction of the Jews and murder the murder and the murder of God's people, the Jewish people. So at the end of the day, this is the thing here is though, is that if you look at our modern society, there's surveillance tech constantly that you can't walk down the road without having, you know, some type of someone knowing where you're at and listening in your phone call. If you have a cell phone, that basically happens all the time. Um, but at the end of the day, though, what we have to understand is that if we're hopefully we're not here at this point, hopefully that we've been raptured out and that we're not here. But the people that will be living here, particularly the Jews, are going to have to deal with with this. And they're going to have to understand that the proxies are going to be given over authority to kill the people that do not believe in or not believe the in the beast and don't worship the beast. And at the end of the day, it, it, this is where, where everything's going so that the fullness of iniquity can come through so that the fullness of all of this stuff can happen so that Christ can set up his millennial kingdom. Right. And maybe hopefully one day I'll be able to do the a study on revelation that I've been doing. And, and hopefully that can come here soon to kind of really walk through the true purpose behind revelation. Um, and it's not just judgment. There's, there's a whole host of other things that are happening along with that. Um, but I want to get through Esther first, and then we'll kind of see where, where we go after that. But at the end of the day, we've got to understand and see what God is doing and see Esther for what it is. And it's in, frankly, it's Haman and the Antichrist going after the Jewish people, which is what's going to happen in the end, right? So look, I hope that you got something out of this. Next week, we're going to look into Esther 4 and kind of look a little bit more at the role of the church um, regarding the Jews, particularly during this dispensation here, um, you know, because I think that that it's important for where we're at and basically for what's going on. We're told to pray for peace in Israel, but we know that particularly leading up to the end, um, between all the study that we did in terms of future wars, um, that Israel's not really going to have peace. And we're going to kind of reconcile some of that here soon. So, um, 
Look, if you have any questions, feel free to drop me a note at Path to Redemption Ohio at gmail.com. More than happy to help. But until next time, just remember this simple truth. The Father loves you, Jesus loves you, and the Holy Spirit loves you. God bless. <laughs>